Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. And I have to say, we have talked about this topic. We are pretty much reporting on this topic, I think, every three or four months. Why there is no housing crash, why there will not be a housing crash, and why people that are telling you there's going to be a housing crash are either willfully uh, lying to you or just blissfully ignorant. One of those two options. (laughs) That's right. At this point, there's nothing in between. It seems to persist, doesn't it? It is still out there and you guys are still having to deal with it. Some of you, I think it's a micro percent, I hope it is, are actually saying stuff like this yourself, but most of you are just having to deal with this like kind of an objection handler at this point almost. So we're doing this on a quarterly basis because what we're doing, frankly, is reinforcing Um, what's going on in the housing market, updating our facts. We're really doing our uh, best to dispel the, I don't even want to mix words, the lies that are being perpetuated out there, especially inside the industry. Those are the most insidious. The people that are supposed to essentially be the gurus and the experts and people you should listen to are some of the ones that are the most ill-informed. It's really quite fascinating from, um, I don't know, it is just fascinating. Julie and I, we talk about this all the time. Why is it that people want there to be a housing crash? Why is it that so many people out there want there to be doom and gloom and, you know, harm and that happens to people along with, uh, you know, deflation of values and prices and job loss? Why are so many people so fascinated with destruction like that? I have no idea. And frankly, I don't even want to understand why they think that way because it doesn't benefit me and it doesn't benefit you. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through 14 reasons why there's no housing crash. And we're going to do this with, frankly, as much vitriol directed (laughs) towards the people that are lying to you. Because if they haven't accepted the fact that there's not going to be a housing crash now, based on all of the evidence, all of the facts, then they are 100% uh, lying to you, knowing that they're what they're telling you isn't based on fact, that's based on fiction or their truth or they heard speculation or their opinion, yeah. all this other stuff that's not really founded in anything that, frankly, any of you should be even giving uh, two cents to. Well, so will the housing market crash? Will prices collapse in inventory avalanche? Cats and dogs living together. There may be conflict. There are many conflicting quote experts who claim a crash is looming. So what follows is facts. We, we often call this going facting with you versus speculation and feelings. So after you hear all of these facts, the prevailing thoughts you will have are confidence, direction, and a sense of purpose. Your purpose is to be of service to others as a real estate professional. Your role is to be of service to those who need to buy or sell a home, ideally with you. Knowledge equals confidence and ignorance equals fear. Our job is to educate you, motivate you, and get you into action. So we're going to get started with these facts, why there is no housing crash on the horizon. Now, knowledge equals confidence, ignorance equals fear. If that's the only thing you remember from today's podcast, that is what you should remember. Your knowledge will equal your confidence. You will then feel confident sharing your knowledge with other people. Maybe it's you know your neighbors, your friends, your family, your loved ones, or ideally real estate clients. And then they too will feel confident. That's what it's all about. We need to work collectively to root out the people that are trying to poison your potential in the real estate market, but also essentially poison 
the essentially all the uh, opportunity that's always circulating around sure. us. You can always look for bad news. You can always look for headlines that are clickbaity that are going to make you feel pessimistic. Why don't you instead focus in on all the amazing things that are happening? And again, this isn't a mindset podcast. This is a facts podcast starting with point number one, Julie. Yes, and by the way, I re-research. Every time we update this, I make sure that I get all my facts straight. So point number one, about 10% of all mortgages are adjustable rates. Now, why do we bring up adjustable rates? Because the foreclosure bros or the negative uh, naysayers will say, Oh, when all of these rates adjust, there's going to be, you know, housing Armageddon. Well, only 10% or less are adjustable at all, not like the great housing crash. Fewer than 1% of sales this year have been distressed. That would be short sale foreclosure. So you're combining two points. First of all, fewer than 10% of all mortgages are adjustable. In other words, the idea that there's a grenade with a pin pulled, and the pin pulled is when those mortgages go to adjust to the current rates, that somehow all these people aren't going to be able to make their payments and they're going to be ran out of their houses. That's complete bullshit if you look at just the percent of people that have adjustable rate mortgages. That's point number one, so be very clear on that. And point number, the secondary point Julie was making, is overall, when you look at the percent of homes that are actually in any form of distress... It's less than 1%, which is a historic low. Let's define what that means. In most states, when somebody misses two housing pay- house payments, they are put into the, the mortgage process or the foreclosure process starts with a notice of default. Some states it's six months, some states it's three months. But guess what? It doesn't actually ever happen that way. I remember in California sometimes they'll sit on a notice of default for six months or 12 months. You guys get the idea. But it becomes a pre-foreclosure, basically. That is where, that is a place you can go to learn actual non-bloviation uh, fact. How many, what are the, is there an increase in the notice of defaults? Where are the notice defaults happening? Go to your marketplace and you can search for notice of defaults and find out where they are. By the way, in some markets, that sometimes is a fantastic source of business because a lot of those people that have maybe lost their job or had hardship happen to them, they probably are sitting on a mountain of equity and they'd be great people to get as sellers, talk about motivated. At the end of the day though, the number of people who have had notice defaults issued, again, something we can actually track, I fact, it's less than 1% of all homeowners with mortgages. Okay, so if somebody's trying to sell you a list of the, quote, avalanche, you know, supply. The shadow inventory. There yeah. is no shadow inventory. That's a lie. Thank you. Okay. What's shadow inventory? There's a there's this myth that's being sold to people. Uh, again, the fear mongers, the foreclosure bros is, uh, what is it, Logan? Logan Motoshami at Housing Wire. Yeah, he coined that phrase, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, there's a this myth that's being perpetuated mostly by people that are trying to sell you how to do short sales or sell you how to get on a foreclosure list and all the rest of it, that there's this big amount of banks or the, the inventory homes that the banks are just sort of, the, where people are in default, where they're not making their payments and the banks are just keeping those in the shadows. It's going to be 2008 all over again. And they're going to put those houses for sale. It's bullshit. And these facts, like the one we just gave you about less than 1%, and this is, you know, you can see in different states what the actual notice default is. Mm -hmm. It's tiny. You can see what's coming. Hypothetically, a certain percent of those notice defaults may become distressed, but most of those sellers are going to sell far before the house actually is foreclosed upon because of the fact they have tons of equity they can afford to. Because they can. Where you're going to see potential problems are people that purchase their houses in the second half of 2022. That's when most of your adjustable rate mortgages got issued. And in some markets, the people, those homes did uh, decrease in value over what those owners paid. And so for at least maybe 12 months, let's say, 
they will be in a negative situation. Now, what's happened is inflation, 5%, 7%, 8% in some markets with regards to home prices are more than making them uh, be in the black again as far as equity and even putting them in a position where they're actually going to be able to sell and make money. So if somebody you come across, if you're in San Francisco or some of these other markets where someone did buy the second half of 2022, and let's say after expenses, they're only going to break even and they don't want to just break even, tell them to keep the house for another six months or 12 months. And then there's a really good chance that they're going to be able to walk away with a large check. Well, that's right. And just because they're even Steven on what they paid and what it's probably worth, that fact by itself does not mean that they are a distressed homeowner. You're making a lot of assumptions when people report that, that they lost their job, that they have to sell, that this, that, and the other. So one does not necessarily equal the other. Point number two, 40% of all homes in the United States are owned with no loan. Several states in the United States have more than 50% mortgage-free homeowners. Note, in 2008, California led the housing crash, but currently, even in California, 30% of homeowners in that state have no mortgage at all. So I put this, we've talked about this uh, statistic before. We always pay attention to this. Uh, and some people say, oh, I have a hard time believing that that many people own their homes. Well, that's you having a hard time knowing how to use Google and research this yourself, because we've just given you the facts. So how can you have any kind of big foreclosure crisis and any kind of, you know, precipitous drop in home values when that many people own their homes outright? In some markets, you know, you're going to see half the owners have no mortgage. They have no house payment other than their property taxes and maintenance and upkeep. There's not going to be a foreclosure crisis if there's no debt, right? You following me on all this? And the other percent that do have mortgages, a lot of them are in long-term fixed rate mortgages, and they're sitting on a mountain of equity. That is nothing like what we experienced in 07, 08, 09. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. And you just mentioned this. Okay. So point number three, the average mortgage interest rate for homes closed in 2022. Remember, rates spiked in the second half of 2022. Even with the higher rates, the average of uh, mortgages closed in 2022 is still less than 4.52% most of which are 30-year fixed loans. More than 28% of closings were all cash. That's up from 25% the previous year. You cannot default if there's no mortgage, and you are unlikely to default if your rate doesn't adjust to a payment you can't handle. And I don't know if you have a point in here about uh, mortgage uh, deferments or... uh, Probably. Okay, keep going. Okay, that's okay. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) By the way, our notes, obviously, a lot of you are going to want these notes uh, a lot of you, I notice, are using these notes on social media. You're taking some of these points and making them in Instagram posts and things like that. That is a fantastic idea. Today's content is designed just for that. And all you've got to do is scroll down. And if you're listening to us on YouTube or Spotify or Amazon Prime or just Google, you know, everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> this podcast is you know, the number one listened to daily podcast for real estate professionals in the United States. It's syndicated everywhere. Notes are there. If you're not finding all of the notes, um, because maybe the widget you're using kind of uh, maybe only showed notes, half the notes, you need to go over to like iTunes or almost always we get all of our notes on YouTube. And yeah, just cut and paste them and use them. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for Premier Coaching. Premier Coaching is if you love how you're going, you're probably right now feeling more optimistic and excited and you're saying, what do I do now? The next natural step for all of you is to join Premier Coaching because then you're going to 
take that optimism, take that excitement, and then you're now going to learn the skills to make the most of this market. And the best part is, and I think all of you will agree, you can join Premier Coaching right now for free. And yes, that does include a daily semi-private coaching call with one of our Harris certified coaches. So scroll down, check the notes out, read along with us as we're going through these points, and then definitely join Premier Coaching. It takes like 15 seconds to join. And once you've joined, you have instant access, including the daily semi-private coaching call with a Harris certified coach. Do not delay. Do that right away. Point number four. Point number four. According to Black Knight, U.S. mortgage delinquencies have actually fallen to an all-time low of just two and three quarters percent. Now, we were talking about one percent earlier. That was based on the number of actual closed transactions that were, quote, delinquents. Okay. So they're falling. They're not going up, guys. Don't believe it. So don't buy it when somebody is selling you a list of REOs. That is not spiking. It's actually falling. There's a little fact for you. You know, it's kind of fascinating too, Julie. And I would venture a guess every single real estate market in at least the United States, mm-hmm. um, people like will say that there's a, the problem is the affordability. People can't afford it because interest rates are too high and the housing prices are too high. You know what, guys? I want you to think about what I'm about to say. Those things are definitely true, right? Interest rates, affordability have an effect, but it's an inventory problem. There's not enough homes for sale. In every one of your markets, even with interest rates, even with bank overlays and the things we talk about in this show, more homes for sale, they're going to all pretty much sell themselves instantaneously because such a backed up, a pent up demand. Mm -hmm. And we have everything... There is nothing but wind at your back as far as the next 10 to 20 years in the real estate market. The biggest reason to be optimistic, frankly, are the number of people who, like it was, I heard this yesterday, Julie, or the day before, the number of people who just turned like 33. And and demographically, when you hit 33, that's generally speaking, you're married and you're, you know, making babies and the rest of it. And so you naturally need more real estate, you know, Mm -hmm. need a bigger place to live. Well, if you look at the number of people that are in their family formation stages or the people that are older than us that are looking to downsize, just all the people who naturally and organically are going to want to buy real estate, it's extraordinary. You know what the demand is going to be into the future. There's no other industry like that. You, the best you can do in any other industry is guess, right? If you're, for example, making Ginsu knives, there's going to be a point where you've sold all the Ginsu knives you're going to sell. You've oversaturated the market. You're, not everyone needs a set of Ginsu knives or really any other product, but real estate is the only thing that and you know, food staples and energy, frankly, that everybody needs, always needs. And by the way, everyone's going to need to change at various times in their lives. You are in a brilliant business at a brilliant time. Do not let anybody convince you anything other than that. That's right. And we're going to drill down even further on demographics in point number eight coming up. Point number five, home prices have inflated on average by 48% nationwide between 2020 and 2022. Just because they're only going up by one to 5%, depending on your market this year, is not something to be disturbed by. A 3% price reduction on a home that hasn't sold yet is not the same as a price crash. By the way, I sincerely question the hypothetical 5% appreciation in real estate. I think that's bullshit, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because when you're, they're talking about um, the inflation rate, you know, you and I have talked about this. It's almost yep. it, it's almost comical. Did you guys know that they don't actually incre- include um, housing, housing and, and the inflation rate. In other words, rents go up, home prices go up, and you hear the government bragging about, well, the inflation rate now is only 5%. Uh, do you know that doesn't include real estate? What they do is they include something. I'm not making this up. You'd think I was. This is so insane. <laughs> Called owner's equivalent of rent. And here's how it works. Again, I'm not. you can't make this shit up. <laughs> they're calling existing homeowners. And Julie and I have tried to research to find out whether they're calling the same existing homeowners every time they do this. And they're asking the homeowner, 
what the house, what they think their house would cost in rent or what they would pay for their house in rent. That's the question. How would Bob, who works at the, you know, he sells shoes. I don't know what the hell Bob does. How would he have any clue what the rental market was for his house? Don't okay, you? Okay, how about this? They call your mom. No offense, but they let's say that <laughs> Rosemary answers the phone today. I'm calling from so and so organization. What do you think your house would rent for? She'd be like, I don't know, maybe 800 bucks or something. You yeah, know, like exactly. based on what? And that's when they take all these numbers and they say the owner's equivalent of rent is this number. And that is the only way any kind of real estate data factors in. They didn't always do it that way, by the way, <laughs> dear listener. They actually used to include actual homing, home cost inflation when they were figuring out the inflation rate. And they changed it because the government doesn't want you to know the real number. So when you hear this, real estate's supposed to inflate by 1% to 5% depending on the market this year, I think that's a complete lie. And you want to know why I think that? Look at your own market. Look what's going on with rents. If you have rental properties, are you only increasing your rents this year by 1% to 5%? Nope. You're increasing more than that. If you put a house for, if you know, you listed a house um, today, okay, how much more is that house going to cost than it would have, say, a year ago? It's more than 1% to 5%, isn't it? They're not telling you the truth about the inflation that's happening in real estate. Now, here's the thing. I want to disclaim what I'm saying. That is my opinion. Outside of the how they go about figuring out what the owner's equivalent of rent, that's a fact. Other than that, I am opinionating right now, but I bet you at the end of this year, they're going to do what they've done for the last three years and say, well, you know what, Julie? Turns out mm -hmm. that the home inflation uh, has been actually closer to like 12 or 13%. Probably. In some markets, it's probably even going to be more than that. I mean, we know because of the markets that we watch virtually every day where our rental properties live in Texas and Columbus and different places. The cost of construction alone. Right. Is good. When new builds are going up and when new, new, the cost to build a house is increasing year over year between labor, everything else, obviously materials, it's increasing by say 10 or 15%. Yep. Just the hard cost to build the house is increasing by 10 or 15%. That will pull up the value of resale homes, which means that the one to 5% thing is a lie. And it's a political lie. It's a lie to make you think that somehow the inflation rate's going down and the government's got a control on inflation. The inflation is going to be uh, a omnipresent thing in all of our lives for at least the next 10 years. What's the only thing you can do? You need to own assets. Real estate is the thing, obviously, we're huge advocates of. Own a home. It's going to make you rich over time because it's naturally going to inflate in value. Do not believe the foreclosure bros. All right, point number six. But what about the fact there's fewer sales this year? Well, guess what? There's still going to be approximately 4.5 million home sales this year. <laughs> That means nearly 9 million commissions will be paid. Nobody talks about that. I know. How many do you need to meet or exceed your goals? Now, all of you listening are massively blessed by the fact that the average sale price in the country is still hovering around 400000 So It's like four twenty-five. Like So let's say your net commission is 9 or 10 grand. How many of those do you need of the, you know, 9 million transact, uh, commissions that will be paid? Not that many. So yeah, keep it guys, in perspective. And by the way, that only includes things that hit the MLS. They're not ones that, like if there's a builder, which most builders are not putting their inventory in the MLS. And so they can't, um, when people are figuring out what the home sale, total home sales are, 
They don't really know that that medium-sized builder has 12 houses that they're building that are going to be inventory homes, and they're just going to sell them out of their new model trailer because there's no real registration of that uh, because they're pulling data. They don't go to, for the most part, they're not going to the courthouse and looking for real estate transfers. They're looking at MLS data. So it's a data problem that doesn't report the whole picture of the actual transactions that are happening. Same with private sales, yes. Right. Okay, point number seven. Here's a fact for you. The average days in the market have gone down, not up. Last year, it was, oh my gosh, 29 at the worst of it. This year, we're averaging 22 days on the market. That does not happen with a housing crash. In fact, it's massively different with a housing crash. Why? Because with a housing crash, you have a ton more inventory, which means everything has longer days on the market. Our days on the market are not going up. They're going down. In my opinion, point number eight is the biggest reason why not only will housing continue to be the best investment ever, not only will housing be the best wealth builder ever, not only will housing continue to be the American dream, but this point number eight is the reason why our country will remain the dominant country on planet earth for at least the rest of our lifetimes. Okay, and that is point number eight, demographics. Follow along in the notes of the description because this is a numbers point, okay? Demographics. There are 331 million Americans. There are 72 million millennials who are aged 26 to 41 years old. Baby boomers are 58 to 76. There's 72 million of them as well. One of those groups is growing in size as they grow their families. That'd be the millennials. Immigrants are also a growing number of home buyers. Both of those massive groups will be buying and selling in greater numbers over the next 10 years. Add to this our measly Generation X, which is 42 to 57 and has a group size of only 65 million. Demand is extremely healthy and supply is very low. And even if we circle back to baby boomers who are on the older end of the spectrum, I can tell you from our coaching clients, a lot of the listings are coming from that crowd. And then, you know, we add into all of these other demographics of how many people are actually chomping a bit to buy. You guys know this because you've got about 10 to 20 buyers versus every one listing for agents that are actually transactional. You have so many more buyers. The demographics are on your side. Inventory is low. Buyers are high. It's a pretty simple story. So think about that point number eight. Why is it that the doomsdayers, why is it that the foreclosure bros, thank you, Logan, for that. Why is it that all the people that want you to believe that tomorrow is not going to be, you know, 10x better than today? Why is it that they never talk about that fact? Because they don't want you to know the truth. And again, we're not really sure why there's so many people out there that essentially love to be bridge trolls and pass around bad information, let alone why there's so many people that want to listen to that bad information. It's not for us to know because frankly, it, there's no benefit in knowing. We want to focus on those of you who want to embrace this business and this opportunity, this life, frankly, and make the most of it by being a service to other people. And in your case, because you have real estate licenses, most of you becoming incredibly successful real estate professionals. Point number nine. Point number nine. Buyers will continue to want to buy instead of rent. I should that's, say renters will continue to want to buy instead of rent. That's never going to change. No. Refer to our podcast, I think yesterday or the day before, about why it's still better to rent than buy. Keep in mind, even with higher rates, I checked this stat yesterday, first-time buyers make up about 27% of today's market. Did any of you grow up saying you want to own a home? That would be all of you. Did any of you grow up saying you want to rent forever? That would be none of you. I mean, maybe like two. And I know there's this millennial thing where I don't want to own a home because I want to, don't want to have to be attached to a particular geographic area and all these, it's better. I've done a spreadsheet on it. Okay. How's your spreadsheet working out now? 
as your rents have increased. How much better off? You're not building any equity doing that. Well, not just that. Well, I don't want to be pigeonholed to a particular geographic area because I, well, buy a house that you can easily rent and then move and keep that thing as an asset. And it will indeed slowly make you rich passively. Yes. And actually that is a trend amongst millennials is that their first purchase is actually an investment property. That's brilliant. That maybe isn't as cool as, you know, what they're renting right now, but they are starting to invest in real estate. They're holding that they're building equity. They're waiting for that to go up and they'll either keep it or turn that into the home they really want. And, and it I is think imp- it is brilliant. And it is important to understand that in some cases you do have, we talked about this yesterday, it does pan out to it depending on the market and the price point. Sure. But on more expensive real estate, sometimes it does make more sense to rent than to buy. Okay. Those are carve outs. But for the most part, it never makes more sense, especially now with the inflation rate being what it is. You guys have got to wrap your minds around the fact that your house itself is paying for you to live in essence for free. Let's say you have a 7% mortgage. If the home is inflating in value by 7% or greater, you're basically having the increase in value of the home cover the cost of the house. That's free money. That's like living in your mom's basement for free. for savings. (laughs) Okay. Point number 10. The national unemployment rate is at a historical low of 3.7%. Again, I looked that up yesterday to make sure that's still accurate. When you have a job, you pay your mortgage, assuming you even have a mortgage, especially when it's an appreciating asset with a fixed payment. Now, for comparison's sake, in 2009, unemployment peaked at just under 10%. You and I were coaching during that time, and that was very different than what you see right now of an all-time low of 3.7%. It's also worth noting, and we do know, and we talk about this a lot, and again, I love making this point because it's really difficult, impossible for the doomsdayers to argue against this. If there are individual or regionalized um, you know, ec- economic layoffs issues, or layoffs or, right, if there is unemployment that, it, our country's massive and we're in, you know, the country obviously has a billion different industries, I'd get another reason to believe in America. So at the end of the day, there could be an industry that has a setback. There could be a town or a small community that makes widgets that all of a sudden, you know, that company goes out of business or whatever. Do you guys really believe that the government's just going to summarily uh, allow the banks? I do mean allow the banks to just foreclose. No, they're not. They're going to be forbearances. How do we know that? Because that's in essence what the government did after the housing crash. That's what the government did. You can see exactly what their playbook will be based on what happened after COVID. You will have people that are making low or vastly reduced payments for long periods of time until they get their lives back together and get jobs. And it could be years. The government controls, I don't know what percent, we should know this. Mm -hmm. I bet you the government controls over 90%, probably like 95 plus percent of all mortgages. It's up there, yeah. Most people, unless you have like a super jumbo mortgage, you're actually using government money to buy that house. So the bank, your bank of, well, I was going to say Bank of America, but your Wells Fargo, whatever, is servicing the loan. Yep. And, you know, they're responsible for the loan. But at the end of the day, they've borrowed and, or, you know, they're using government money. Well, the government then can tell them what to do when there's defaults or people are running risks of going into foreclosure. And, you know, again, the playbook is going to be what happened during COVID. You're going to go online or not even, you're just going to fill out a form online. You're going to ask for a deferment for X amount of time. You're probably just going to have to say, like during COVID, I was adversely affected because I lost my job. There'll be no verification, most likely. I'm not, look, I'm not saying this is good or this bad. And some of you are saying, oh, Tim and Jilly are advocates of people gaming a system. No, we're not. We're just telling you what will most likely happen given what's happened in the past. 
Again, don't believe the foreclosure bros. Point number 11. Yes, point number 11. According to the National Association of Realtors, the inventory that we have right now is a 2.6 month supply nationwide. We are still averaging fewer than 500,000 active listings and have not seen a significant uptick in inventory this that, year. That is staggering. And let's put that in perspective. So there's 500,000 active listings. Again, that doesn't include all the homes for sale because a lot of them are privately for sale. This is pulling out MLS data. It's not including new construction. But let's even say the numbers double that. If you compare this to the past, typically there's a million to a million half homes for sale. And again, that's just information. That was still even, I mean, that I, the one I have memorized is from 2015 because that's halfway pulled out of the previous housing crash and it was it didn't account for all the craziness in the past three to five years. So that's a good kind of middle of the road inventory mark. And that was a million, 150,000 actives. And you and I are both coaching back then. And I remember in 2015, for example, talking to the Kenmores, even then at a million, 150,000 active listings, just in the MLS, we were still crying low inventory. That's yep. still not even at the highest that it got, like during an actual housing crash where it was close to 4 million actives. And guess what? Things were still selling then. But to keep it in perspective, it is historically low inventory. So that gets back to our supply and demand point, our facting with you all, that when we have low supply and high demand, prices stay up, no housing crash. And that clearly, if you're listening to point number eight, is not a temporary trend. And again, our notes from today's show, scroll down, read them, analyze them, and use them to essentially help other people. And again, while you're there, make sure you sign up for Premier Coaching. Just scroll down in the show description from, uh, uh, you know, on YouTube or on iTunes or any of the other places. And yes, absolutely positively, if you're looking for a broker upgrade, which all of you should be, make sure you click the link and learn more about why Julie and I, five years ago, aligned with eXp Realty and why it was the single best decision we ever made. Yes, yes, yes. We're encouraging all of you to join eXp Royalty and ask and have Julie and I be your sponsors of eXp Royalty. The link to do so is below and there you can watch some videos and learn more about eXp Royalty. And then when you're ready to move forward, which many of you already are, do text me directly at 512-758-0206. Joining eXp Royalty will be one of the smartest decisions, one of the best decisions you'll have ever made, assuming you leverage all the amazing things that eXp Royalty offers. Do not delay on that, guys. All right, point number 12, the number of sales has declined, but it's declined to about the same rate as in 2019, pre-pandemic numbers, back when things were slightly more normal. That just means that we went back to a slightly less hot, but still seller's market. Not a crash, it's just a shift. So yes, the number of sales have declined, but remember, of course, between 2020 and 2022, when we had low rates and the government was throwing money at everybody, of course we had a million more sales then. That was the unusual time, not this. So I was watching an interview between, uh, I think his name was Patrick David, and actually our friend and former coaching client, Ricky Carruth, actually, was interviewing him. And I wish I remembered some David, Patrick, I don't remember. Anyway, he has got a big YouTube and social presence, and he was one of these foreclosure bro types who was saying that there was going to be a housing crash. Mm -hmm. And Ricky did a wonderful job of actually drilling down using facts yep. <laughs> and uh, asking him these questions. And th very quickly... It was within a question or two that you quickly realized that that guy had brought a, you know, a folding knife to a gunfight and Ricky was the one with the gun because Ricky had all the facts and the guy was, was obviously just offering his opinions. The thing that he fell back into why he thinks there's going to be a housing crash is because after all, 
you know, if there's a big increase in, uh, you know, in, or I'm sorry, unemployment, then how are people going to make their payments? Well, we've just given you guys all the most likely scenarios to happen, even if there is an increase in unemployment and why there won't be a big housing crash. And Ricky was, you know, a gentleman and didn't really embarrass him with his lack of knowledge. But what was the big takeaway should be is here was somebody who had put positioned himself in front of millions of people. I think Ricky told me on his YouTube channel, this guy has like 16 million subscribers and I don't even remember just an enormous number of people mm -hmm. listen to him and he a hundred percent didn't know what the hell he was talking about with it comes when it came to real estate yeah and all these people are listening to this guy talking all this you know Mickey Mouse about housing values and a housing crash and just within five minutes with just essentially confronted with you know facts his whole argument just eviscerated right there as you were watching the video yeah, and I, I think that that's very pervasive and dangerous because there were that many people listening. And again, what really makes me crazy is when people say non-factual things with enthusiasm. Yeah, exactly, which he does. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad Ricky did a good job getting rid of that and, well, we and facting into, back to him. You and I ran into somebody who knew who we were, knew what we did, probably listened to the podcast, and she just wanted to basically die on the hill that there was going to be a housing crash. I know. And, and, and like you and I tried to avoid the conversation. Frankly, we tried to avoid her. She just wanted to have this conversation because she wanted to, I don't even know, show off or something. And so you and I hit her with a couple, I mean, not physically, but we hit her with a couple facts. <laughs> but and, she was so enthusiastically arguing her side. Of and then she started telling us like what she thought. Okay. Based on what? Well, what somebody told me, what I heard. Okay, so that's not based on fact. That's basically a rumor. That's gossip. So you're basing your worldview on real estate based on gossip. Well, yes, yeah, so-and-so told me this. Well, where'd they get that information? Oh, uh, I don't know. In other words, you essentially have built your uh, perspective on housing on what it certainly is a mountain of misinformation, if not a mountain of lies. Right. And I, if I recall correctly, that conversation became crickets when we shot back with one of the points we used on today's podcast, which is less than 1% of recent closings were actually distressed. So there's that. And then the conversation went silent. So there you go. Okay, let's let's wrap up our next couple of points. We talked a lot about inflation. That was number 13. Inflation is likely higher than being reported. When you look at uh, what's being reported, you look at is that a month over month, a year over year. So if you look at year over year, we're at about 9%. They're reporting that we're only at 5% because that was a quarterly report. I won't get into the weeds on that. But what is inflation? It's an average increase in the prices for a collection of goods and services in a given economy over a set period of time calculated by year, sometimes by quarter, but essentially it's the decrease in purchasing power of the dollar over time. However, housing does tend to do well with inflation because prices continue to escalate. Though likely at a lower percentage than the past couple of years, we talked about that, rents have also continued to go up, but so does your income, assuming you keep selling homes, listeners. Okay, we're going to skip that because well, that's about let, let me throw this in because you're, that point reminded me of something else. Sure. Somebody else, last time we presented this, similar information, wanted to argue that all these hedge funds and whatnot are the ones that own the houses outright. Well, that's true. They do. They don't have mortgages on those. They use investor money to buy the houses. So sure. yes, you're right, Mr. Housing Bro, but here's where you're wrong. Oh, those investors are going to put the houses on the market because there's such a lack of inventory that they want to make the most of the seller's market because after all, they're super smart and their golden eight ball, is that what it was called? Yeah. It's telling them if there's a housing crash on the horizon. 
No, they're super smart. So they're going to keep those houses because they're absolutely golden cash cow investments for them. And they're able to increase the return on investment. They will not be selling those houses because they, they have tenants in those houses. Because they are a performing asset. Correct. So if you think that your shadow inventory, that's where a lot of shadow inventory comes from, from these big investors that were buying houses during the housing crash, they're going to flood the market with houses. Why, Why the would hell? they do that? Why would they do that? They would drive their asset prices down. Oh, it's because Julie and Tim, they have information about what's going to happen around the uh, corner with regards to there being an alien invasion and unemployment rising. No, they don't. They don't believe that. They're going to, because guess what? All those things might be true, but they still are going to have assets. Well, hopefully none of those things are true, but they're still <laughs> going to have assets that are going to perform. That's called That's right. Smart. Why would they work against themselves? It doesn't right. make any sense. And you need to be smart too, listeners. And you guys need to be realizing that in times like this, the people that make all the money, I think it was Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett, which, you know, I listen to them all the time. You know, they were talking about what do you own in a market like this? And they're, one of the first few things they said is real estate. Why? Julie was talking about this a second ago, and I hopefully you have all understood what she said, but I'm going to laboriously explain it. If you go out and buy a half million dollar house now, and let's say you put down 20%, you have a $400,000 mortgage. Your out-of-pocket expense on that house is 100 grand. If that house inflates in value, you bought it for 500 grand, and it inflates in value by, say, 10%. Again, that's not normal, but that's what's happening. It inflates in value by 10%. That means on your 100,000 that you put down, you just in essence on paper made 50 grand. Are you following me listeners? Now, if you keep that house for two years and you stay in that house for two years, you've basically gotten 100% on paper of the money you put down on that house. Of course, I'm not factoring in taxes or maintenance and upkeep. I'm just hoping you understand what inflation, how it works for you when you own an asset, especially a home. After three years, you're, not only have you gotten all your money back, but now essentially the house is paying you to live in the house. Yes, that, that's kind of motivational versus, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is one of the points that um, Housing Wire makes, that especially Logan makes, that people do not just all of a sudden decide, oh, something's weird with the housing market. I better dump my house. What he says is sellers don't sell to become homeless. No. Right? They don't do that. No one aspires to be a renter. Exactly. And that we have to think of housing in a different light than other types of assets, right? In other so, words, what yeah. she's saying are a lot of the people that are doing that analysis are looking at how people behave when it comes to fear and say, for example, when they own stock. They're fearful that the right. values are going to drop. So they sell. So I better get out. I better get out. I'm going to sell at a loss. They're thinking, and a lot of the people that you guys go to uh, seeking information and their misinformation gets repeated, is they're thinking people behave the same way when it comes to their homes. Do you, dear listener, if you actually believe the value of your home was going to go down, how many of you would sell? No, because you still need a place to live. Do you guys get it? That's the reason a lot of the stuff that we're listening to and you're listening to is not based on the actual housing market. Be careful who you listen to. Very careful. Okay. Well, number 14, we've talked about quite a bit, but we'll round it out with this point. Government intervention. Even if housing values declined, highly unlikely. Inventory skyrocketed. If it was going to, it would have so far this year, and you don't see any of that. And demand dropped. Also not true. Refer to previous points, especially the demographic <laughs> I mean, one. It's almost funny as you read Highly <laughs> unlikely. Please refer to the past points for the love of God. Okay. The government now knows exactly how to intervene and has proven its willingness to do so. Forbearances, loan modifications, foreclosure moratoriums, rent forgiveness, and other tools are now at their disposal. 
None of that happened during the housing crash. See, this is a major point that is very different but, from what people are saying, right? So I can see, I because you and I struggle with this all the time. Why do people, you know, talk about this, you know, pending housing crash and all that? I mean, I can see from one standpoint, people that didn't study or live through this or coach through it or sell and buy through the actual housing crash, I can see that one point would be, well, since prices have gone up so much over the past, you know, several years to decade, that must be just like last time. And the last time that housing prices went up so high, it caused a housing crash. Okay. Without looking at any underlying factors, like the fact that the government and banks, lenders, actually know how to deal with a situation like that, which is also highly unlikely to Stay happen. Stay on that thought. Let me interject something. You follow me? Okay. But listen, in the past six months, we yeah. saw some major banks that were about to fail. Yes. And what did we see the government do? They intervened. Immediately. We saw people worried about their FDIC uh, insured limits in the banks. What did the government do? Essentially raised the rates just with inside two weeks. Right. That is your playbook. Intervention. For, that's going to be the playbook forever. I don't care who the president because, is. Because, you know, we all actually learned from those times and don't want to recreate it. And we're not saying it's right or it's wrong. Julie and I aren't sitting on our lofty perch and saying, well, the government should fix all problems and there shouldn't be any risk and you know there shouldn't be any losers and we're not saying that that we're not even we're just reporting on what is the fact and we're hoping you are going to tune into the realities that there's not going to be a housing crash back on track uh, well absolutely and here's the thing i think long-term listeners and coaching clients you guys know us right so if something were to conflict with this which is why before we present all of this i always you know, do my research and I look for the anti-fact. And right? we do update this about once a quarter. All the time. If something were to change, you're going to hear it from us. You know why? Because our coaches are boots on the ground. They're having calls every single day, as am I, okay? We will let you know if something changes on the horizon. Not only will we let you know because we will be facting those facts, but we will also let you know what you're supposed to do about it. Because here's the thing. Agents, real estate agents will make money no matter what direction the market's going. 100%. I mean, we don't want the values to fall. We don't want the market, but not for the reasons that you think. We can still sell coaching and do quite well no matter what direction the market's going. We don't have a dog in the fight. We don't sell real estate. The reason we don't want to see anything similar to what happened before, our own personal perspective, is because we saw, and so did you, many of you, of course, some of you were you know kids then, the massive human despair that came from that cycle. There were people that have never been able to get themselves back off the mat. Nope. People developed health problems. They got divorced. There are people that killed themselves. There were all these horrible things that happened. We don't want humans, our fellow Americans, to experience anything like that. So if you want to know where our perspective comes from, that's where it comes from. Yep. But from strictly from a numerical, analytical, financial, making money perspective, prices go up, prices go down. We are going to be just fine. And why am I telling you this? Because of the fact that you need to not be thinking that we're uh, only filtering our information through some sort of idea that prices always have to go up and, you know, we're real estate. Like, again, I know this podcast is going to get people that are commenting, you guys are just nar shills. I mean, we got that last time. No. Okay. We're, you're just, you know, basically parroting whatever, you know, it's going to essentially inflate the home values and all the rest of it. We will tell you the truth no matter what direction the market's going. Because from a business perspective, if we're wrong about something, we're going to tell you. Matter of fact, we actually enjoy when we have an opinion of something and we find ourselves to be wrong about it. And especially when we've done it on this podcast, because it's fun for us to be able to tell you what we thought, why we thought it, and why sure. we were wrong. 
Well, and in fact, I would say if I could or we could create the magic perfect market for our listeners, okay, it would be a little bit different than some of the facts that we rolled out. For example, I would really love it if we had about an average days in the market of 60. Why? Because it wouldn't be knocked down, drag out, competitive all the time, especially on the lower end of the market. It would be a lot less stressful for you guys to have one buyer and one listing. Well, agents and can, they got along. And they can lead generate because they'd have more time to lead generate off 100%, the listing. 100% because your listings would generate more and it wouldn't take so long that you would get fired. You would have time to lead generate with your listings, which is one of the points of being a listing agent that we teach you in Premier Coaching. But there would be some better sense of calm and normalcy to the market. So if I could predict, if I could create a magic market, I would say 60, maybe even 90 days on the market, one buyer, one uh, listing for each buyer, and the prices would come in at about 97, 98% of list price. And obviously more inventory. More and a, and a lot more inventory so you could get more of your wayward buyers pending. I would say, you know, it would be great to have rates around like between six and seven would be fine because expecting anything less than six, I think is unrealistic, probably even in the rest of your careers, you may not even see that, but I think somewhere in that moderation. I, so if I were to create that, I would, I would wish for moderation, right? So those of you who are thinking, oh, you're just doing this because of, you know, because you're coaches and this is what you do. Oh, well, I'm saying, look, if I could wave a magic wand, I would change some things about the market. But meanwhile, our job is to educate you, motivate you, and get you into action so that you know what the market is doing and you can take advantage of what the market is willing to give you. There is going to be sectors of the economy outside of housing which is absolutely going to have its ass handed to it. Commercial sure. real estate, I'm talking to you. Yep. I'll tell you another one. Used cars, especially mainstay normal cars, the interest rates to borrow a, a used car right now are double digits. That is going to really put downward pressure on your average everyday normal car. Expensive cars that people pay cash, not so much. But you're going to see different segments. You're going to see inflation is going to start pricing people into keeping things for longer and taking care of things, which is going to create more opportunities. Right. So exactly. There is always, the economy can go up, the economy can go down. Interest rates can go up, interest rates can go down. There's always going to be an opportunity in real estate because you were smart enough to get a license and you're selling something that every human needs and, you know, homeless people, God bless them, but you're selling something that every human needs, no matter what the interest rates are, no matter what the politics are, no matter how many UFOs, we love talking about UFOs, <laughs> uh, they're being reported in the news, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what, people always need a place to live. You are selling something, assuming you're selling something, that everyone will always need. Go you, right? Yeah, so, you didn't even have to buy it and inventory it yourself to have it. That's right. You That's awesome. Exactly. So listen, you are in the right place at the right time. Please stop looking for reasons to believe that tomorrow is not going to be better than today because tomorrow will be better than today. There's never been a time where tomorrow wasn't better than today. Go back to the original human and you know move it forward. It's always gotten better. There you go. And we're just in one of those times now. Ignore the foreclosure bros. Ignore the people that are trying to get you to believe that you need to go live under a bridge and wait for the alien invasion to be over. I'm trying to make you guys laugh today. <laughs> Ignore the people that are, as a result of you consuming whatever they have to say, that's resulting in you feeling uh, pessimistic, if you want to you know, use a word. You need to prune those people from your life 
because they're going to cause you to miss the opportunity to be of service to other people and really make the most of what we feel is going to be one of the best real estate markets in probably the last 50 years because of the changes that are happening. So guys, thank you for keeping this number one lesson to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.